All right, if you want to come grab a seat, open up to 1 Timothy chapter 6. Well, I mean, I love money, but not like that. Like, we're just friends, I mean, money. Not, not an unhealthy love of money, right? Like, it's, it's not this thing that just completely consumes my life. But we've, we're talking through this series called A Change of Heart, and, and I want to continue to just talk about, like, where our hearts are at. And uh, when it comes to this, this phrase, what does that mean? The love of money is the root of evil. And how do we handle that in a way that is, uh, is faithful to what God's calling and is in a way that's not alarmist and in a way that uh, isn't legalistic? What is God saying here in this passage where he's giving us this phrase, the love of money is the root of all evil? Mark Twain, the more I read Mark Twain, I just really appreciate his words. He says this about it. He says, I think it's the lack of money that's the root of all evil in this world. <laughs> Like, yeah, I probably agree with that, too. Elizabeth Taylor, once uh, she asked, the, asked this question, how can money be the root of all evil if shopping is the cure for my sadness? <laughs> so, I don't know, Elizabeth. You were around the time of Jesus. You tell us, right? <laughs> she was Cleopatra in a movie. It was, yeah. Or you might think, oh, great sermon about money. The church always wants to talk about money, and, and the church just wants my money. And I, I give a sermon on money once a year, and you just so happen to be here on that day. So lucky you. Uh, but I don't think it's that God, God wants our money. I don't think God needs our money. I think what God wants is our hearts. God wants our hearts. And he knows that there's something directly connected between our resources and our heart. There's something that's very intertwined. Uh, it, it's, it's something that's entangled. And so as, as God uh, gives us words about money in, in Scripture, what he, what he often is saying is, I, what I really care about is, is your heart. And because this can be something that is, is so consuming in life and, and, and causes so much strife with people, we want to have peace and health in this area where we have healthy boundaries, where we are putting our hope and trust in things that, that really matter. And, I, and, and so I think that there's this idea that God wants my money, but really what ha- it is is that God, God wants my heart. He knows that my heart's deeply connected uh, with, my, with my resources. At what point Jesus says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Uh, Tim Stansel is a ridiculously good videographer. Some of you know Tim. He likes to make videos. Uh, used to do that for a living before we hired him. Uh, he, so he does videos for the church now, and we have a lot of really exciting things coming up. But one of the things that we we're talking about, this idea of the change of heart, how do we convey this in a way uh, with, with a video that we can post on social media? So last week, Tim put together this, this beautiful video. It was like drone footage of the mountains. The sun was setting, and it had this, this scripture about the treasure in the heart. He showed it to me and Tyler, and we're like, wow, that's so beautiful, Tim. But you got the phrase backwards. It said, where your heart is, there your treasure will be as well. And Tim's like, I just like, rendered the whole thing. It took like all morning to do this. And I'm like, well, you, you can't put it up there because it's wrong. It's the wrong, it's backwards. <laughs> and he was like, I got to go back and redo the whole thing. And I was like, well, it's kind of true that way too. Like there is this connection between our heart and treasure. This is what Jesus is communicating. So I made Tim redo it because he can't change the words of scripture. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if we actually did. It'll look for it this week. It'll be out. But there's, there's something tightly connected between our resources and our heart. And so God, God wants our hearts and is concerned about the health of our heart. And the second thing I think that is important 
when we consider this passage is that there's a great calling and responsibility when it comes to what we possess and own. And I don't think we talk about this enough. Like, the, the fact that even living at where we live and, and having jobs and having homes, we, God, has, God has blessed us and, and given us a responsibility to use what he gives us to make the world a better place. And so often it's, we, we, we forget that, what we've been given. Uh, we, we've been given with calling and responsibility. And, and I think that, that what, what God is saying is, I, I, don't, I, I want you to be faithful with these things. In the Gospel of Luke, he talks about this idea of being faithful in this area of our life as a prerequisite for be giving more responsibility. And as a church, there's, like, we, we want to be responsible, and we want more responsibility individually and even corporately as a church as we move forward in this community. And so this is something that we want to talk about. What does it mean uh, to be good stewards, to have healthy habits, uh, to be a generous people? So God doesn't just want our money. He wants our heart and knows that those are tightly, tightly wound together. And then he calls us with a responsibility to say, I've entrusted you. If anything, it shows that God trusts us with decision-making because he's given us so much. But this passage of the love of money being the root of evil, I want to kind of unpack it for a little bit. And I think what's important to understand is the context that this is written of when this was written and why it was written. It was written by this man named Paul. We know him as the Apostle of Paul, and he was writing to this young pastor named Timothy. And if you're familiar with Scripture, you, you know that Timothy was mentored by Paul, and, and Paul gave him kind of this assignment at this church, and he's writing to him as a young pastor leading, leading this congregation, and, and, he's, and he's, he's writing into the context of, of where Timothy is, is leading. And what we find is that Timothy is leading a church in this city called Ephesus, and Ephesus is it's now kind of a, a Roman colony, but it was an old Greek, uh, Greek city uh, that's in modern-day Turkey. And if we kind of understand the, what, uh, what, what kind of makes Ephesus go, why is it this popular place to live, what we find is that there's this goddess named Artemis that is worshipped there, this old pagan religion. And Artemis was the goddess of the hunt. So, like, men, men liked Artemis because if you're going hunting, uh, the chances of you, like, Catching something uh, is much better if you, if you honor Artemis. Artemis was also the, uh, the goddess of fertility. And so women loved Artemis. And, and so if you, if you were, were, were trying to be, to be fertile and reproduce, you would honor Artemis. And what happens is that Ephesus, as, as this kind of like center of worship for this pagan god, becomes a wealthy area. All the, the, the places around it become more and more wealthy because of this pagan religion where people are, are giving these offerings so that they may be blessed. And in Acts, it talks about what happens when Paul shows up in Ephesus. Paul shows up, and, and he's, he's starting a church there. And, he, and, he, and, and what we, we find is that as people start to, to, to understand uh, who God is and, and who Jesus is and what Jesus is in their life, they start kind of leaving these, these pagan religions. And so what happens is, the temples are affected. People are no longer going there trying to appease the gods so that they can be happy and be blessed. And so as people start to leave those temples, uh, the people that are making the money from the temples realize our economy is getting hit. It's getting, we're getting hammered right now by this guy named Paul. And this riot breaks out. And you want to talk about like a heart issue, a riot breaks out. They're, they're so upset that they become violent because they're no longer getting resources from the people in the town. 
as a riot breaks out and all sorts of kind of craziness happens. And finally, as things kind of start to settle down, there's this, there's this man who kind of starts the riot, and he says that he's a silversmith. And he's so upset about what Paul's doing because he's losing money. And so he tells everyone in the town, uh, you know, we, our, our economy is crashing, so we need to do something about this, this Paul guy. We need to get rid of him. And, oh, and, and by the way, you know, we need to honor Artemis. And, like, you realize, like, what's really going on here. Paul's interacting with, with these, these uh, people who are part of the temple. And he's trying to teach them about this Jesus who's all about grace and love and mercy. And a church gets started there. And the church becomes one of Paul's favorite communities in Ephesus. And Paul's got a lot of different churches that he's connected with. Some of them are kind of troublemaker churches like the church in Corinth. And some of them are just these wonderful groups of people like the church in Ephesus. And we find that this church becomes very dear to Paul because as he, he leaves uh, Ephesus, he, he, there's, this, there's this famous passage in Acts about his farewell to the, to the elders in Ephesus. In, at Ephesus. And he has this conversation, and it's very kind of heartwarming, but he says this to them as he's leaving. As Paul leaves Ephesus in Acts chapter 20, verse 35, he's kind of talking about everything they've gone through with the riots, and he says this, and everything that I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. We must help the weak, remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself, as he said, it is more blessed to give than receive. And he talks about kind of everything that's happened here in Ephesus with the riots and how like the dust settles and now we're, we're serving this community. And he says, here's my hope for you, is my parting word, is that you would help the weak. Those who are less fortunate than you. If you're, you're this church community and, and it's this, this wealthy community, help the weak. And he encourages generosity, he says, because it is more blessed to give than receive. And it says that he's quoting the words of Jesus. And as we read these words, what we find is this phrase, it is more blessed to give than receive, the, the words of Jesus. But we don't really find him in the Gospels. And we're wondering, like, where did Paul get this? And we're reminded that this is a very uh, you know, early time in the church. And the Gospels haven't been canonized yet, but they're probably being passed around as documents but Paul knows something about the character of Christ here, and he's saying that this God that we follow in this, this Christ who is our king is a generous God. And he tells us that it's more blessed to give things away, to give our life away, than it is to live, other, and, and to, to live where we're consuming. And as we give, that is where blessing comes. And he wants the people in Ephesus to know this. I think that's interesting because when we come back to this letter that Paul is writing to Timothy, Timothy's leading that church in Ephesus. He's leading in that community, and it's been years later, and he's talking to this young pastor about the way that he's interacting with this wealthy community. He says, be reminded that the love of money is the root of all evil. You've been called to be generous. You've been called to be generous. He goes on to say this and. uh 1 Timothy 6, 17, kind of building on the idea of love of money is the root of evil. He says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. 
Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. And in this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so they may take hold of life that is truly life. I love that phrase, life that is truly life. The author Eugene Peterson paraphrases this passage by saying this, Tell those who are rich in the world's wealth to quit being so full of themselves and so obsessed with money. Eugene Peterson always has a poetic harshness to how he writes, right? Which is here today, but it's gone tomorrow. Tell them to go after God, who piles on all riches we could ever manage, to do good, to be rich in helping others, to be extravagantly generous. For if they do that, they'll build a treasury that will last, gaining life that is truly life. Paul tells Timothy to give this command. And command is a, it's a very strong word. He says, command the people. And struck them in this way. That those that are rich in this present world should not be arrogant. So as Paul kind of unpacks this idea of the love of money being the root of all evil, he says there's kind of two warnings here for the people. He warns them against pride. He warns them against pride. Other translations say arrogance, conceit, high-mindedness. So here's something that our resources tend to do is develop pride in us. C.S. Lewis talks about pride a lot. He says this. I, he says, pride is like bad breath. Everyone knows you have it except you. <laughs> I take that personally because I've been told I have coffee breath. I've never noticed it. But... Um, Pride is like bad breath. Everyone knows that you have it except you. He says, there is no fault that a man, there is no fault that makes a man more unpopular. No fault which we are more unconscious of in ourselves. And the more that we have in ourselves, the more we dislike it in others. Now, what do you want to get clear is that pride is essentially competitive. It's competitive. It's competitive by its very nature. While other vices are competitive only, so to speak, by accident. Pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only of having more than the next man. We say that people are proud of being rich or clever or good-looking, but they are not. They are proud of being richer or cleverer or better-looking than others. If everyone else becomes equally rich or clever or good-looking, there would be nothing to be proud about. And it is the comparison that makes you proud, the pleasure of being above the rest. I feel like that's something that is so prevalent in our culture is just this comparison. There's this idea that we, it's not that we just want to have enough, we want to have more than. And when we consider our wealth, oftentimes we uh, have to be careful that our wealth doesn't make us think that we're better than others. It's something tricky that wealth can do. Now, I've lived in Phoenix for a long time, most of my life, and I've lived in different parts of the city I've lived in, uh, in neighborhoods that wouldn't be considered wealthy. I've lived in neighborhoods that are. And I think there's this ten tendency to, to think that those who are wealthy are, are constantly proud and prideful, right? Like those in Scottsdale. We always say Scottsdale with kind of a snide. I've lived in Scottsdale. I've lived in Phoenix. And here's what I've found living all over the city. There's great and wealthy people who are humble and generous and loving. And there's great and wealthy people who aren't. They're very proudful. And there's people who 
don't live in really wealthy neighborhoods who are unbelievably generous and loving and humble. And there's people who live in neighborhoods that aren't wealthy that are very entitled and arrogant. What we find is it doesn't matter what you have or how much you have, that's not what's going on here. What's going on here is your heart. Don't allow wealth to become something that makes you arrogant, entitled, feeling like you're better than others. There's a trap that is there. And the more that you, you kind of want it, the more that it's, it doesn't satisfy. The Romans had this proverb that they talked about. Here's one of the dangers in wealth is it's like drinking salt water when you're out in the ocean. If you're thirsty, you think, oh, there's all this water. I'll just consume it and it will quench my thirst. But the more that you drink salt water, the more unsatisfied you are and the more it gets inside of you and corrupts you from the inside out. And the more that you want more of the water, it never satisfies. And there's something here about wealth as well. Be very humble about it. Don't let it grip your heart and corrupt you from the inside out. The first warning, don't be prideful. And the second one is this, guard your self against trusting in riches rather than in God. So he talks about where we put our trust when it comes to resources. Those, uh, why is it the root of all evil? Is because we put all of our hope, all of our trust, all of our security in something that can be taken from us. Last week we talked about the, the parable of the storehouses and the rich fool who's putting all of his trust into this, this, uh, this physical thing. We have no idea what tomorrow holds. That doesn't mean that we don't invest. It doesn't mean that we're not good stewards. It doesn't mean that we're, we don't store up uh, for the future. But there's something inside of us that says, all of my identity is found in this. For those of you that are over 35, you've probably felt the sting of the economy collapsing back in 07 and 08. I feel like we live in a pretty sheltered world where we don't often think about like, oh, this can all just disappear tomorrow. If you're within 10 years of retirement, that collapse probably stung a lot more. You see something that you've been building up get kind of wiped out overnight, and it's this reminder. And I think it was this reminder culturally that where are we putting our trust and our hope and our identity? If anything, that's a silver lining from that collapse is it made us reassess our priorities. What are the things that I really need to put my hope and trust in? Do I put them in things that can be taken? And it's always like easy to say that when everything falls apart, but like, what about when we're in a time where things seem to be going well, the economy seems to be growing, where are we putting our trust? And I think it's so important to keep this in mind that our trust isn't in what we possess, our trust is in God who is eternal. Because then when another housing bubble pops or the economy crashes or the earthquake hits California or the North Koreans go crazy and do something, we haven't put our trust in something that can be taken from us. We put our trust in God who is eternal. And those who trust in what they possess, that's where the danger is. Paul's telling Timothy to tell this church to warn them about being prideful and arrogant with their resources and to putting all of our trust into such a thing. And then he goes on to say, say these words, but to put their trust in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. And I think that's a pretty great statement. 
This reminder that God is good and he actually provides for us, not just for our needs, but it says here for our enjoyment. We follow this God who sees us as children and wants us to enjoy life here and now. That is where our trust is put. One of the things I was thinking is, uh, like we put our trust in, in uh, you know, when we, we consider our resources and retirement and long-term investing, we find someone that we really trust that we know does a good job. There's a gentleman in this church that I, I know a lot of people see. He's just blessed at making money. He's not here today. But he's, like, it seems like he could take money and, and turn it into more. And, and we kind of figure out how he did it. And a lot of people are like, if I'm going to invest, I'm going to go to him because I know he's going to do a good job with it. Put trust in, in him. I made him the church treasure because I was like, you just do a great job with it, right? But there's this idea that we, we know there's certain people that we can trust that we can go to. And they, they understand the market and they understand trends. And, and they'll do a good job with our resources. My question is, if we're willing to do that, then how much more should we be willing to say to God, You're, I'm trusting you. You're in control of my life and my resources. My identity, my security, and my hope is found in you, God, the giver of all good gifts, our sovereign God. We trust in you. Then he goes on to say this to the church. He says, command them to do good, to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. And in this way, they'll lay up their treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of life that is truly life. Do good. Be rich in good deeds. Be generous and willing to share. Be generous and willing to share. What we find in this passage, much like in the passage in Acts, is where it's more blessed to give than receive. What Paul is saying is when you live this life where you're not hoarding, you're not being arrogant, you're not putting all your trust in your resources, but you're saying, I'm using these resources to bless God and bless others. There's something that's gained in return. And it, it might be something that's intangible, but it's life that's truly life. When we're generous, we experience an increase of life that's truly life, and that comes in all different kinds of forms. There's something about generosity that God is saying, in this kingdom that I belong to, it's more blessed to give than receive. Psalm 41, verse 1 and 3 says this, Blessed are those who have regard for the weak. The Lord delivers them in times of trouble. The Lord protects and preserves them. They are counted among the blessed in the land. He does not give them over to the desires of their foes but the Lord sustains them on their sickbed. He restores them from their bed of illness. Here in Psalm, it talks about those who have regard for the weak, who live life taking care of others, who are generous. The Lord sustains them. So we look at these three passages, 1 Timothy 6, Acts 20, Psalm 41. What do they all have in common? What do the generous all have in common? It's that they always receive more than they lose. They always receive more than they lose. Something about as we give our lives away, our lives grow, our hearts expand. There's blessings that are there. I love what William Barclay says, and I want to close with this. 
It says, if a man's wealth ministers to nothing but his own pride and enriches no one but himself, becomes his ruination because it impoverishes his soul. But if the uses, he uses it to bring help and comfort, uh, and comfort both others and becoming poor, he really becomes richer. And time and eternity is more blessed to give than receive. We start talking about this idea of our resources and our money. The things that we own, the things that God blesses us with. It's more blessed to give than receive. There's a change of heart that comes. I think this is a, it's always a hard message to give. But we're in this season right now where everything is going to be demanding our resources. I don't know if any of you are stressed out about this upcoming week. I'm just going to sit on the couch and eat turkey. <laughs> but we name days after consumption, right? We've got Black Friday. We've got Cyber Monday. We've got Take All My Money Tuesday, right? We have all of these things coming up. And, uh, and it's a time where we bless others. And it's a time that's extremely stressful. It's a time where we make sometimes decisions trying to keep people happy that don't even like us. And, but we're entering into the season of giving, a season of blessing. And I wanted to take time as a church today to examine our hearts, to say, what is going on with the culture of my heart when it comes to my resources? And so I want to close today with a prayer of examine. Sometimes we, most of the time we, we would close our services with communion, but I wanted to spend time with just silence and reflection. Tim's going to come back up. But it, when it comes to the culture of your heart, when it comes to where you place your trust and your hope, when it comes to how you handle what God has given you and the way that you view the rest of the world around you, I want to take some time reflecting. And this is an activity called the prayer of examine. And there's five steps to it. And we're going to spend some time in silence and then we're going to, we're going to sing. But I want to move through this prayer of examine. And I'll walk us through it, so if we could all just bow our heads and close our eyes. The first step is simply, simply this. Become aware of God's presence in this place. Just take some moments of silence and just become aware of God's presence. We know that God is everywhere, but especially where two or three are gathered, God is with them. Allow the presence of God just to, to fill your heart right now. peace that passes understanding to calm you. The second step in this prayer is to reflect back on the week, this last week with gratitude. What are you thankful for? What did you receive? How did God show up? Reflect with gratitude. The next step is to examine your heart. Identify what is heavy on your heart right now. What is burdensome? What's causing grief? What's causing stress? 
what's causing fear. Identify, reflect. And the fourth step is to, to take those things that are heavy on your heart and to ask God to transform them right now. That he would renew, that he would restore. That he'd bring peace. Give heavy things to God. The last thing is to look forward to the week with anticipation. What does God have you for you this week in the midst of the busyness? What is God calling you to do, inviting you to do? How can you allow God to move in different circumstances, different situations this week? Lord, we're so grateful for your generosity to us. You love us. You bless us as children. Lord, we live in a a fast-paced, moving culture, a culture of comparison, a culture where we're just trying to keep up. Lord, we're often stressed and anxious. Lord, we want to be a people who place our trust in you. Who see the things of this world as gifts to make the world better. We want to be people who hear the cry of those hurting around us. Lord, we want to be people who steward our resources well, that we may have peace. And so today, Lord, we, we just want to give our hearts to you. Allow you to transform us to your image, to align our heart with the ways of the kingdom, to soften us, that we may love as you first loved us to spur us on to good deeds, Lord. May we be rich in you. May we not allow things to corrupt our soul to have a foothold. May we be a part of this eternal story of love, grace, and mercy. We give you this time, Lord. Let's spend some time singing, and then I'll have Tim just dismiss us at the end.